Clinker Factor, the cement industry podcast. Welcome to The Clinker Factor, a podcast from WCA, which looks at the cement industry's response to climate change around the world and other topics of interest. I'm Ian Riley, CEO of WCA, and your host on The Clinker Factor. So as a change today, we've uh, decided to turn the tables a little uh, and uh, interview the editors of industry magazines who've been interviewing people at their events, especially during the pandemic. And so today I'm talking to Thomas Armstrong, Managing Editor of International Cement Review. Thomas, maybe we could uh, kick it off by just asking you to give a short introduction to your own background and how you wound up uh, being involved in the cement industry. Well, thank you for having me in, and it's a, a pleasure to be here on the podcast. Um, so my background, um, I've been 15 years or so as the managing editor of International Cement Review uh, magazine and also director of Semtech conferences. So we have a, a very global perspective on the, on the cement industry. We, we travel or have traveled as part of our, our daily work uh, very intensively and explore the technologies, the markets uh, and the, the shape of the industry and how it's changing. Uh, my background before that was uh, in um, consulting and, and before that actually in publishing. So I've had a, a varied background, but um, uh, the majority of it's um, involved in the cement industry. Okay, so if you look back uh, to yeah, March last year, so a bit over a year now, what kind of uh, changes uh, has COVID brought to your own business? I remember that in the, in the early stages, uh, we were really scratching our heads about how it was going to affect us. And then I think we've all gradually uh, adapted. And uh, how, has it, how has it changed your business? Well, um, one part of our business, as I said, is, is conferences. And we just uh, completed our uh, Middle East and Africa Semtech conference in Dubai uh, we were aware of, of the pandemic, but um, very, very quickly after that, uh, that was in February and by March, we, we were in lockdown. And, you know, immediately, like everyone, um, it's quite disorienting. Um, you're, you're, you're trying to work out what to do and what the impact will be and make assessments on a lack of information. But, but soon we, you know, cancelled all our live events, all our travel. Um, we visit a lot of other conferences and we travel constantly to other um, equipment suppliers and cement plants around the world so that was all shelved um, and and there was a time when it's you know it's quite um, disconcerting but but it has been kind of remarkable from our side we've moved all of our events online and and that's had other benefits you know it's it's greatly increased the reach um, we've had events with over two and a half thousand people uh, from over 100 countries um, registering so that's quite uh, a satisfying and remarkable thing. We've had opportunities that we've taken, um, but we're, we're like everyone, we're not traveling and, and parts of our business are, are, are in aspect at the moment. And, um, and we'll see how things move from then. But, but looking at the cement industry, it was, it was the same thing around the world. Um, you know, an immediate uncertainty, there was closure of plants. We, we saw some industries pretty much shut down entirely for you know, a period of a month or two, and you we're talking April and May. But quite soon, there were really encouraging noises and we saw that actually construction activity could um, continue in, in many parts of the world and cement plants could operate safely. And there was, you know, we can, we can look at China, which bounced back very quickly. Um, you know, January and February was impacted and by March, April, it was, it was, it was recovering fast and, 
you know, in the second half of the year, it, it caught up and exceeded the year prior year growth. So there were there were some countries that were able to um, control the pandemic, continue construction activity, and and volume certainly in terms of volumes, um, remain fairly stable. So it was a, it was an interesting time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if, if you look at your business model, you know, going going forward, if you look at how COVID has has changed the way that you want to um, organize your business model, is 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 that something that is is going to see the the future looking very different from the past? It, it has changed things. Um, certainly, you know, live events will 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 change, and I think it will be interesting to see how they how quickly they can open up again. And the engagement that we receive and how, how will people want to travel, how, how intensely will they want to travel and be engaged in that way. But we have another option now, which is online. So we, we you can move between the two formats. In terms of our own you know, publication of International Cement Review, we continued uninterrupted throughout the whole of the pandemic. We published every single issue. Um, and, and for us, that we're very proud of that. Um, it was quite unique in the industry and we we've always had a digital presence so in that way if we couldn't send out a uh, if someone couldn't receive a hard copy uh, they could certainly read what we're putting out on the internet so there are so many opportunities with the digital world that you can continue um, to operate but um, yeah I think there's been a real hunger for information as certainly in, in March and April uh, May people wanted to know what was going on and they wanted to hear what other people uh, were experiencing. And that we actually felt that we were really coming into our own, being able to spread that information, um, reliable, uh, well-sourced information and other experiences that people could understand what was happening around them. Um, and that must be our, our key function. I think uh, it, the points that you make, they're very uh, interesting, because one of the things that's, that's clear is that during the pandemic, we've seen a very rapid uh, adoption of technology. So it's not so much that the technology is new, the technology in many cases has been around for many years, but whether we talk about uh, uh, Zoom calls or, or when you look into the plants, the use of various industry 4.0 uh, technologies, uh, remote support, remote commissioning, uh, use of BIM for new projects and so on, we can find a, a lot of examples of technologies that have been let's say, thought about for a long time, but not really used very much, suddenly becoming uh, very essential to continuing uh, business. And then uh, I think with um, BIM and remote support in particular, the people that I've talked to that have, have used them in uh, their own work and their own projects have been delighted with it. I mean, they said, you know, this is the best project we've done. It ran the smoothest, it commissioned the quickest and all the rest of it. So I, I think that um, there's a lot of things that won't go back to the way they were before. Now that we've learned actually these new technologies are really good, really work. And, and we'll see a lot of opportunities for new business models. So in the cement industry, I think in materials industries, generally mining and so forth, you know, you're a little bit tied to getting the, uh, the rock out of the ground and processing it. Uh, but but in your business, of course, you, you have a, a, a great deal more uh, freedom to, to restructure it and take advantage of, of these new technologies. So I think it, it must be a fascinating time. It's a transformation. And, um, you know, we are we're still producing our hard copy magazine monthly from our home offices. Um, you know, we're, we're all working remotely. It's an interesting thing. Um, 
I've spoken to lots of people about how they find that. And I think maybe this working from home might be overstated. I think we can do it. That's great. And there will be more working from home and more flexible, more flexibility in the workforce. But at the same time, people want human interaction. I think things will improve. I think we'll have the options and we'll have a, a greater variety and flexibility. And, and that will be a good thing in the long run. Yeah, no, no, I'd agree with that. Can we go back to business travel? Because I think this is a, a, a fascinating area. You know, with the use of Zoom, we've all got used to Zoom. And I, I think we're getting better at using Zoom. We're learning how to uh, work with it more effectively. But clearly there are some things that um, are better done in person. And I, I felt uh, early on in the pandemic that one of the things that was not going to be too heavily impacted was, was conferences. You know, because people go, for, go to conferences you know, primarily for the networking. You know, of course, you have to have good speakers and all the rest of it. But I don't think that's really the, the sort of main reason that people go there. I think they go uh, because of the people they meet there. Um, and I thought, well, you know, you can't really duplicate that online. But I see with some of the, the way that that's developed, there is, you know, more of a duplication of uh, networking events and the chance of having individual meetings with people online. I wondered how, how you saw that in the future. Oh, I definitely think it'll be a mixture. I think people will want to reduce travel that's not essential. And I think people who travel heavily will, will have the scope not to, and that will be a, a quality of life enhancement. Um, I think the online platforms are great for transfer of information. And sometimes they're, they're even better. You can really convey a great presentation, great explanation of a technology or you know discuss um, topics really well online but you don't have that human factor you don't have the interaction and the relationship building so it's great for continuing experience uh, relationships it's not so good for starting them so we'll, we'll go forward I think with a mixture and you know it'll be interesting to see in three five years where, where this is you know is there an edge to personal meetings in which case that will happen more if people find that actually they can't make the deals that they need to or understand the, the information that they want to, to get from, from being in a conference, for example, it'll be interesting. And I, I really think it will be a mixture of the two. And I think it may start slowly. I think people will also be fearful or concerned of um, jeopardising their health, perhaps, from travel or you know, a cement plant. Does it want to send people around the world to a conference you know, if that increases the risk of getting COVID, which may not be uh, totally conquered in the next year or two still. So there might be a, a kind of reticence to travel. You know, in the longer term, I, th I think we're going to use everything. And do you think that the, um, the pandemic has led to a larger conversation within the industry uh, worldwide? Are more people engaged with um, the industry in different countries, not just their own? Do you think, do you think that's been one of the impacts? I think the impact of COVID, it, it, it's, we've shared an experience, a global experience, and it's highlighted human vulnerability, um, fragility, the nature of global challenges. And then that's a very, very easy way to translate that into other concerns that we have on climate change. And I think, you know, we really globally understand that we have challenges that need to be fought together. It's been amazing that if anything, um, it's increased the kind of um, momentum to deal with some of our global challenges, such as climate change. And last year was a, was a flurry of activity. Um, we get more data uh, regarding the threat of climate change and more commitment to tackle it, both at a governmental level and then 
that feeds directly down into industry and also the, the push from society, which now demands that kind of change. So COVID has really had an interesting effect on that discussion. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a very interesting point. And uh, uh, one, one that uh, people started talking about relatively early on, but I think we've absolutely seen that in the last uh, yeah, six months or so in particular, we're an increasing number of companies uh, making commitments now, albeit a lot of those have been 2050 commitments rather than something uh, earlier. But I think with uh, the changes in uh, US policy on this, one of the things that seems to be happening uh, in, the, you know, in the recent weeks is that more people are talking about short-term targets as well, you know, t- 2025 or 2030 targets, rather than just having net zero in 2050, which is you know, maybe less of a call to action than something you have to do in, in five years' time. So I, I do think that COVID has played its part. And I think also last year, you know, we saw that during COVID CO2 emissions dropped, but then December on a year on year basis was actually higher than. We're now at, uh, at pre-crisis levels again. So there was a drop, I think, um, was it around, around 7% that um, emissions fell last year, but they, you know, they've, they've come back. Um, with a vengeance um, as we reopen the economy. So we know that the, the challenge is still there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think on that uh, that note, we should probably wrap it up. Uh, Thomas, it's been a, a pleasure to speak to you today and I look forward to uh, your, your next uh, event. Thank you very much, Ian. My next guest recently interviewed me about AFR. So I'm happy today to have the chance to interview him. Uh, Peter Edwards works as the global cement magazine editor and has a PhD in supramolecular chemistry. Uh, So, Peter, uh, good to have a chance to have a chat with you uh, this afternoon. And um, I'd I'd like to ask you a little bit about what you've seen in terms of the changes that COVID has brought, uh, both to the industry and and, and to your business. Uh, So maybe we could start by by looking out into the industry and I could ask uh, what, what changes you've seen uh, in the cement industry over the last year or so? There's definitely been, um, since the onset of the pandemic, an upsurge in the amount of content that we're publishing regarding sustainability, particularly um, regarding climate change. Every week. And, and do you think, do you think Peter, that that's happened in the last six months in particular on sustainability? Um, I think that that has happened over the last 12 months. And this but there's also um, a new um, wind and solar power contract every week or so, or every couple of weeks. Somebody has contracted out renewable supply X for grinding at you know a particular facility. Some some grinding facilities are 100% sustainable energy now. Um, so there's that kind of thing. There's also the low CO2 products, um, which has seemed to have really taken off this year. Um, people are publishing press releases about the expansion of um, things like Ecopact and um, Virtua Concretes. There's a sort of been a, a three-pronged sort of change change to the sector. One, one being exceptions that sustainability is really happening. We've got to do it now with um, the commitments that have been made to 2050 or plus or minus a few years, renewable energy and product mix. So most of the targets that have been set within the cement industry are probably 2050. A few companies have set uh, earlier targets than that. Um, Lafarge Holcim is one of the, the candidates for a net magical reduction to zero by 2050. Um, but um, Lafarge, uh, but uh, Heidelberg Cement, 
um, has got a 2025 commitment of 525 kilos um, of uh, CO2 per tonne by 2025. So that's a shorter term, possibly more attainable target. Downey is another one that's really interesting. Um, they committed two years ago, beginning of 2019, um, to net negative by 2040, which is um, obviously before COVID. So there's nothing to do with COVID prompting that call. And um, Semex 30% down by 2030, um, in line with the IEA's two degree scenario. So, so, and obviously China by 2060. I think the smaller the producer, actually the shorter term mindset there is. And I think that the associations seem to have the longest term mindset, but, and kind of relying on work below to generate the savings that are needed. The difficulty that both um, WCA and GCCA have, of course, is, is that um, we have to get our members to agree. Uh, so uh, you, you have a, you know, there's a difficulty, of course, in, in getting everybody on the same page. But the, uh, the conversations that we've had have been about what do we do to set challenging targets in, in a time frame that is relevant to today's activities. Yeah, so 2050 it, targets are not really impacting today's activities. No, they're not. And, and, and they haven't done for quite some time yes, as well. Absolutely. <laughs> because, because we could have had this conversation 10 years ago quite easily. The, the thing, it's, it's, like, it's like running a marathon and you've never run before. And it sounds like a great idea and it's a year away. So you've got loads of time to practice. But you can't just sit on, you know, sit around and, and wish that you can run a marathon in 12 months time. Yeah, you've got to make a step today to improve the chances of hitting your, your more ambitious targets later on. Let's um, come back a little bit to the impact that we've seen during COVID. So, so one of the impacts was, uh, as you said, uh, that we've seen a lot of sustainability commitments come out during COVID. Perhaps COVID has had an impact, but perhaps it's, uh, you know, just... A function of, of the timing. What, what else? Anything else that, that you've observed from your perspective as, as having changed? So, so yeah, away from sustainability, um, I've asked this question a lot. What's changed in, in your business as a cement producer, as a supplier to that industry? And there's, there's answers on different levels. Obviously, the first level is we had to shut production and we do social distancing. Now, great for the cement industry. That's quite straightforward. Most of these places are outside of lots of space and not so many people. So it's not like some other sectors that are worse affected. The secondly, there's like the logistical challenge of continuing projects and actually having people on site to do shipping and moving things and trying to commission stuff without people there. And that's, that's something that's really taken off is the ability to commission a project without the expert from supplier X actually being on site. So that's something that I think, whilst a lot of people want to have their hands held while they're doing installation of the equipment is not actually necessary in this day and age and there's all kinds of wonderful solutions that we, we've tried to cover a few of them that are coming out that enable sort of smart networking between the, the two sites or augmented reality even so there's definitely elements of, of the pandemic world that I think will stick around in that the first two things sort of like the handling it on site and the sort of the working remotely with with, with sort of like suppliers and producers together those, both, those things are both reversible. We could go back to a situation where we did not do this. And what I think will be less reversible is sort of an attitude change. Lots of the people higher up in the businesses that previously flew everywhere and had meetings and upon meetings upon travel and hotel and different cities all the time have been forced to stop. And it's made, certainly in the producers, sorry, in suppliers we speak to, um, more aware of the bigger picture. There's no picture bigger than sustainability, which is possibly 
why we're seeing an upsurge in sustainability um, PR and, and commitments and technologies being announced. Separately, um, we've had contacts who say, I really like Zoom because I, I see inside the world of, of the people I'm doing business with. I, I don't see business travel going back to the way it was before. I think uh, it's clear that a lot of things that we were doing, we don't need to travel for. And, but we're also clear, I think after a year of using Zoom, we're, we're also clear the things that we probably should travel for. And, yeah. and uh, you know, so, so I think business travel will, will recover, but it won't recover to the same level. I, I wonder how you see uh, conferencing in the future. Well, there's, there's two sides to this coin. Um, obviously, Global Cement, PRO Global Media is, is a conference organiser as well as a magazine producer, and that business line has been disrupted massively by the pandemic. That said, our online events have taken off in a way that I think we were really, really surprised by. Um, the directors, uh, Rob McCaffrey and uh, Paul Brown, have put together a schedule of 15 or 16 events this year, all of which can be done from the comfort of their own living rooms, uh, with plans to extend into next year. And this is part of the future. It's not hopefully all of the future, but it's it, taking taking the worst bits of, of a conference away, maybe the travel and the jet lag and the expense, but also bringing you the, the information that, that's needed. Real world events, we, we intend to run real world events again in the future. That is a excellent platform to meet people and it's an important part of our business. And the only question is timing. Circumstances may change again and um, we don't know what the future holds. We hope it holds a, a hybrid of uh, online and, and real world events. Seems likely, doesn't it, that, that it will be mm. a mix of both. Just a point on just a point on larger events. We, we organise events for 100 to maybe 400 people. Those are things you can count the delegates and you can see who, where they've come from and, and what COVID pass they might have in the future or what certificates they've got when they arrive at your event. There are mega exhibitions out there of 10, 15, 100,000 people like Baumer or Powtech. You're probably going to need to do test events like they've been doing with music or, or football or other sports before you can sensibly plan one of those anytime soon. But that said, that said, um, there were eight, 80,000 visitors to Bama, China last year in, in, in November. So it can be done. And that's, that's a sign of hope that some kind of normality is around the corner. It's interesting to, to see how the pandemic forced changes upon us and, and, and which of those is likely to be uh, sustained in the future and which of them, you know, will come back from. So I, I, uh, with, with the magazine, you know, the openness that people have had to, to meeting and, and, and to talking, do you see that as being uh, an ongoing phenomenon or, or once, uh, you know, once the other opportunities open up, is it going to revert to that? I'd like to speak to people at events in a more open way than we than we used to. Um, there was always a certain awe over certain delegates at events where you, you wouldn't really want to approach them too easily. But sort of the internet sort of acts as a leveler, I think, and it makes people more accessible. And I'd like I'd like to think that that would be something that was realised collectively within the industry um, going forward. Whether it will or not will depend on the individual. But I think that philosophy on this is that openness is, is good for your business. Telling the story of how those mistakes have been corrected into something better or a learning experience or how it resulted in a novel solution, people can be very guarded. And I think the internet's taken the guard down a little bit and I don't want it to go back up. I, I think I've seen a, a related trend, which is that people seem a little more willing to collaborate across countries, across companies. 
and maybe that's um, maybe that's COVID. Maybe it's also the fact that none of us really know how to uh, achieve this net zero in the industry, and, and so everybody is is very keen to learn until we're on top of uh, the net zero challenge, which is not going to be in the next few years. There will still be that uh, pressure on us to keep figuring out a better way of doing it. And you can see there's so many different solutions. We're not going to have a magic bullet. It's going to be dozens of solutions, some of which work here, some of which work there, you know, and, and, and I think we'll move away from this uh, homogenous industry. And how do you do that? You need partners. You need a dozen partners to start one of these things and you need 30, 30 to finish it. I mean, I think there may be an openness in the cement sector because every plant is a little bit different. And so there's not so much risk of, of losing out if, you're, if, you, if you tell something about, about your plant. It's not going to give them a competitive advantage. And even if it did, they're not in the same market. Uh, and it, it is different in different parts of the world as well. So you, you see a huge amount of collaboration in China, where um, the uh, Cement Association encourages collaboration that, that wouldn't be uh, considered you know, normal in, in other parts of the world. Uh, but I do, I do think that um, the cross-border, the interest in cross-border collaboration is probably higher than it was before. I think that sums up the discussion nicely. Thank you, Peter, for joining me on the podcast. My next guest and final guest on the podcast today is David Bisley. He's the editor of World Cement Magazine. And I should just point out for clarity that World Cement Magazine and the World Cement Association are, are not related. David, lovely to talk to you today. And it's, uh, it's nice to have the opportunity uh, for me to interview you. I'm sure normally you're on the other side of the, the table interviewing other people. So perhaps we can uh, give the listeners today a little bit different uh, perspective. But perhaps you could kick it off by uh, telling us a little bit about how you got involved with the cement industry. Um, well, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Um, I'm afraid it, it's not a particularly interesting uh, story. I joined uh, the company I work for, Palladian Publications, um, in early 2012. Um, and I started out working on an oil and gas magazine. And then uh, over time, uh, a position became available on uh, World Cement, and I was poised to take the leap and uh, become the editor of the publication. Um, and, uh, you know, through the help of my colleague, with my colleagues and so on, I've um, taken on the role and I've started at a really interesting time, really. So you've been involved for, what, a couple of years now? On cement since April 2019. So uh, with still fairly f fresh eyes, what, what's been your uh, feeling about the industry? What, what surprised you about the cement industry as, you, if you've, as you've got involved? Well, to start off with, um, what was very refreshing was to see how sustainability and environmental related topics were treated quite seriously. It wasn't um, something that was done uh, as an aside, it was very much a focus. And I, I, you know, I realized part of that is due to uh, regulations making it that way, but I felt there was a genuine interest um, from both equipment suppliers and producers at looking at making their operations uh, more efficient and more environmentally friendly. Yeah, well, I, I'm glad to hear that. I think it's something the industry has has been concerned about uh, for 20, 20 years or more. And uh, it's certainly something that most of us in the industry have been thinking about. Maybe we could have gone faster, but I think, uh, I think there has been progress made. 
So uh, just uh, in terms of your own business, what's been the effect of COVID on your business? How has it changed uh, your business and, and the way you see your business going forward? Um, I think it's like pretty much every industry, publishing has seen a drive towards the digital side of things. And so we've really seen that over the last year or so of a drive towards uh, online conferences, webinars, and um, and I think that's, uh, that was a natural evolution of the industry anyway, but I think COVID has really kind of set a fire and pushed people towards uh, making use of these digital solutions more often now. And uh, just looking forward, you see that remaining part of, uh, part of the offering that uh, you have at World Cement? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Um, the advantages of things like digital conferences, um, although they have kind of come into their fruition during the pandemic period, the advantages they offer are pretty significant. So I think you're going to continue to see those once lockdown restrictions have been lifted and so on. I'm hoping for the future we'll see the best of both worlds where we have the online events that offer the flexibility, the ease of access, and the general kind of broad range of content potentially as well. Um, with the return of the mainstay physical events that were such a big part of not just the cement industry, but uh, really all kind of major sectors. Yeah, no, I think it's it's a very interesting point that you make, uh, that some of the things that we've been doing online will continue to do online and we'll, we'll, we'll find that that works better. Uh, and we're getting clearer and clearer about what you can't do online or you can't do online as well as you can in person. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and not all of the, you know, not all of the conclusions are necessarily what we might have, have guessed in advance, because, of course, what's happened in the last year or so is we've seen, if you like, a decade of technology adoption. So, so I, I think perhaps we, we, we were slow to take up some of these tools, but today we start to see the advantages of them. So yeah, I think it'll be very interesting to see how that, that pans out. But I, I'm also interested in your observations about uh, changes that you've seen in the cement industry over the course of the pandemic. Well, I mean, to, to echo what you were just saying, really, I think, um, and it doesn't just apply to cement, is the um, industries have finally had to grasp the nettle when it comes to making full use of the digital options that have, have really been there for a while, but they weren't absolutely necessary until halfway through 2020 when it became clear that you're going to have to make use of some of these or your business is not going to be as successful. You know, um, restrictions imposed by the pandemic on travel, for example, made it impossible for, you know, an engineering team uh, to travel from Germany, for example, to oversee a project in a plant in India. Um, you know, it, it just wasn't feasible, uh, or, or at the least it was incredibly difficult. And now, um, over the last year or so, although these technologies were available, we've seen them really come to the forefront. Um, we've had articles discussing systems that um, allow for the virtual supervision of, of projects. You know, a local support team can visit a plant, undertake a project, um, and by using a connected device, whether that's a phone, tablet, or you know, even a pair of smart glasses, something like that, they can provide live footage back to their headquarters on the other side of the planet, and it's almost as good as having somebody there in person. The results speak for themselves. These systems work, they save time and money. And um, I think similar to how the event sector has changed, you're going to see these technologies continue to be used because 
if you can avoid sending somebody on a round the world trip when all you need is an internet connection, that's, that's a huge advantage. Yeah, and I think that raises questions about how you support your plants. So a lot of cement plants are in remote locations where people don't like to live. So it's normally yeah. more expensive to locate people in those locations, especially you know, people with strong qualifications. Uh, and, and now the, the possibility of supporting plants, uh, not just in one country, even, but over a, a wide geography, uh, with a single team is is uh, much more practical than it was before. Do you uh, do you see a change in in attitudes to uh, sustainability and to climate change? And and do you do you connect that to COVID, or do you think that just happened at the same time? That, that I think the changes we're seeing towards sustainability are more of a part of an ongoing process. You know, sort of early twenty twenty when the impact of COVID was going to become clear. Um, the kind of the, the green agenda dropped from the headlines temporarily um, because there were much more immediate obstacles that needed resolving first um, in order to continue functioning as a business. But I think it's become clear now that those hurdles have been mostly resolved, that uh, the demand for green solutions is as strong as it's ever been, really. You know, after all, despite COVID, environmental regulations are only becoming more and more stringent, particularly in places like Europe. But then even China now has announced its plan for carbon neutrality by 2060. And then you have the Biden administration in the US, uh, which I think is going to, we'll see that push a, uh, you know, towards the greener side of things as well. Um, and from a kind of a personal day-to-day -day perspective, uh, pretty much every article we commission at the moment, almost regardless of the actual technical content, uh, seems to tie itself in some way to the idea of promoting a greener cement industry. And that's encouraging to see. And uh, when we held our uh, Envirotech web conference back in April, you could tell from the audience feedback that the demand for information on green technology and, and green solutions was really high. You know, we had questions on all kinds of potential systems for reducing emissions. Yeah, I, I think that the cement industry, because the cement industry has been the source of emission uh, for a longer period of time, being uh, very aware of, of these uh, uh, CO2 related issues. Uh, but it, when we look at the potential steps we can take that go beyond the traditional, you know, energy efficiency, alternative fuel, clinker factor uh, levers, uh, a lot of those are in, in concrete or in, in other building materials, in aggregates, for example. Yeah. And um, so I think that um, one of the challenges for the industry is, is uh, to engage the whole supply chain. I, I wonder if you're, you're also seeing that reflected in the articles that, that you're publishing or planning to publish. Um, to an extent, we're, we're very niche in that we look primarily at the technology around producing cement. And so um, when the kind of broader supply chain things turn up, it's generally talking about how we're seeing a, a greater demand from customers uh, for these green solutions. Um, there's uh, the argument about uh, building a, a license to operate. And part of that is ensuring that the industry does what, it's, what it can to um, reduce its emissions and reduce its environmental footprint. So we, we are seeing that to a degree, yeah. I think the, the, the other piece of this puzzle that perhaps fits into this in terms of where the industry is going is that in the past we've had 
pretty standard technologies, regardless of where your geography is, you know, regardless of where you're going to build a plant, the, the, the solution is going to be pretty similar. Uh, and in the future, because of the different economics of uh, decarbonization in different places, uh, that might no longer be the case. So we might start to see a greater uh, diversity of technologies being used. Are you also getting um, uh, any feel for, for uh, different types of, of solutions being uh, considered by different, different companies or different contributors to your articles? Oh, I mean, th there's a kind of whole spectrum <laughs> of uh, different solutions that all chip away at the emissions problem. So you have things that can be applied, uh, I think, to most cement plants, um, things like uh, waste heat recovery, uh, mm. use of alternative fuels. Um, and then at the higher end, you have things like calcined clay operations and things like that. Looking long term, um, I think the kind of the end game solution, if you will, is, um, is probably carbon capture and storage and potentially utilization as well. Just because it effectively, it doesn't just reduce the emissions that are produced, it removes them from the equation. And that's a, that's a huge advantage. And if uh, you can also make use of uh, the products you've captured and uh, produce something useful with them, then that's a, a further advantage on top of it. So yeah, like I said, there's a whole range of technologies that chip away at the problem. And I think we are building towards that, uh, that hopefully final hmm. uh, technology that will uh, come in the form, I think, of something along the lines of carbon capture. So um, I wondered if you, you had anything you'd like to say about career opportunities or something like that. That's a topic that I've heard uh, some people talk about. Um, in, in the cement sector, career opportunities? Um, I would say uh, it, it's, not, it, it's not something we, we uh, cover hugely, but I would say that, um, and this mirrors uh, something that was talked about quite a lot during my time covering the oil industry, was that when you want to attract younger people, they typically don't want to join industries that are seen as polluting. Um, and that was one of the issues the oil industry faced. And it, I'm sure that issue mirrors across to the cement sector, particularly when this, um, it, it seems to vary between six and 8% of global CO2 emissions figure is banded about everywhere. I think it needs to be made clear that you know, if you're joining the cement sector today, part of that is going to be making it greener in your job. Yeah, I, that's a very interesting point, actually. Uh, you know, if, if you wanted to make a contribution to climate change, then uh, if you go and work for a sector that has zero emission, it's quite limited in terms of the contribution you're going to make. If you work for a sector that has a lot of emissions, then you can help that sector reduce uh, its emissions and have a substantial contribution. Uh, exactly. You know, if you go and work at, um, for a company producing wind turbines, perfectly acceptable career in industry. I'm not in any way knocking it. Um, but the best you're going to do is provide an alternative to a current solution. Whereas if you go and work for an existing industry like cement, you can make an active impact on the problems it faces today. Yeah, I, I think we haven't found a, a viable alternative to concrete exactly. as, a, as a building material. You know, if you look at the, the forecast for urbanization, it's clear that the demand for concrete is, is going to continue and, and, and nobody's really suggested an alternative. There are, there are alternatives for for some applications, but but not 
uh, sufficient to make a substantial uh, impact. So I, I think the challenge is how do we do it without having the impact? And of course, there is a potential for, for concrete uh, or heavy building materials, cement, concrete, aggregates, and so on, uh, to become a CO2 sink rather than a, a, a emitter of CO2. And I think that's a very exciting opportunity uh, and one that hopefully will uh, attract uh, a lot of uh, uh, bright uh, engineering graduates to come into the sector and help us solve these problems. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's a it's a real opportunity, and um, I think touching back on that um, note I mentioned earlier about attracting new people, I think it, it's really encouraging to see uh, major players commit to sort of significant environmental goals, um, whether that's equipment suppliers or cement producers. Um, the industry isn't going to progress as quickly as it needs to along this this road uh, without the leadership of you know the kind of the major players, and they are thankfully providing it you know you have companies like um fl schmidt and their mission zero scheme uh which is looking at operating uh, zero emission cement plants by 2030 that's a, it's a good example uh then you have uh, the farge wholesome is also pushing for its first net zero plant by 2030 so yeah i, I think this is this is an encouraging step and, and an important one as well yeah absolutely and i think that um i think that we'll see more pressure on companies to make short-term goals. So, you know, uh, 2050, you know, getting to net zero by 2050 is all very well, but it's well beyond anybody's planning horizon. So you really need some shorter-term uh, goals uh, to, uh, to have credibility with, with the wider uh, public or wider society that the industry means business. And I think you can see a trend towards that. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it goes back to that argument of the license to operate. You know, um, we talk about uh, how the demand for concrete is only going to grow, um, but you want people on your side and yeah, you need good. to show that you are facing up to the, the, the problems that the industry has and you're working actively to solve them. And um, as I said at the very beginning, uh, one of the most encouraging things that I've seen in the cement industry is how it really is being taken seriously. Well, good. Well, David, thank you very much for talking to me today. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. And um, I look forward to hearing you on the other side of the table next time you're interviewing someone. <laughs> Absolutely. I look forward to it as well.